What's going on, guys? In today's podcast, I'm going to discuss a variety of NFL kind of current events or topics, if you will. First thing I want to talk about is the Aaron Rodgers situation. So you guys have heard me on several occasions now. I've kind of given my take on why I think he'll play ultimately. But today I want to take it from a different angle. I want to take it from the angle of if Aaron Rodgers were to hire me as his agent and kind of my argument for why the team should let him, in fact, go get traded because he's Aaron freaking Rodgers, right? So um, I also want to talk about the fact that he was offered an extension. So the important thing to note here is the Packers didn't immediately offer this after the season. Maybe if they did, he would have accepted and he would have been like, you know what? They acknowledged their mistake, whatever, whatever. Um, I'll, I'll take it. But they also didn't offer an immediate um extension in the way of like basically tearing up this contract and creating a whole new one what they did was they just they they offered to and this is not a bad thing by the way they offered to just add more guaranteed money probably in the form of signing bonus so that wasn't accepted and then from what i understand they went in and they offered basically a new contract that would keep them in green bay for like five more years from now so i understand that and and it was also going to make him the highest paid quarterback or right on par with Mahomes in terms of average annual value. So that's not like, first of all, I understand Rodgers getting mad about it because right now he's technically the fifth highest paid quarterback in the NFL tied with Jared Goff at 33-5. If they were to have made him not a, they didn't give him a raise, so to speak, if they were just to add money to that, that's a little bit I could see at least if you were looking to feel like you were slighted, I could see how that would be kind of a disrespectful offer. Like, oh, really? I just win the MVP of the league, and you still only think I'm worth the fifth highest. You know, you think I'm still on par with Jared Goff in terms of what I should be paid. So I understand that. But, okay, so if I were to make a case for Aaron Rodgers, right, if I'm his agent and I'm to make a case for, like, why we should trade him, first thing I'm doing is I'm going to the Gutenkut's office and I'm saying, look, man, and by the way, I'm not trying to act like I'm qualified to be an agent. I'm just giving you my two cents. So just take that for what it's worth. First argument I'm going to make is this. My client, Aaron Rodgers, is, has made hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, maybe at, at least $100 million in his career, right? He doesn't have to play football anymore. He's had a great career. He's a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. He doesn't want to play here. That's why we didn't accept your money. And that's why we're fully prepared to sit out. He's made enough money for the rest of his life easily, and that's living lavishly. So he doesn't have to, he doesn't need a paycheck, right? And if you want to play hardball and make him give back signing bonus and things like that, well, so be it. Maybe he'll do, you know, we're prepared to do that. And from you guys' perspective, if you know that my client's not playing for you, he refuses to. You can make the argument that he should or whatever. It doesn't matter. We're not doing it. So what is your reasoning aside from basically pride, right? Aside from not allowing your guy to walk out the door and go play somewhere else because it sets bad precedent, maybe is what you're thinking. Aside from that, why wouldn't you trade him? You could potentially get, you know, the, one of the greatest compensation packages to ever exist. I mean, you could get, I would say, even at this age, based on what Rodgers did last year, 
you could get multiple first round picks, at least two, probably three. I mean, Matt Stafford, who albeit is a little bit younger than Aaron, but not nearly the player that he is, especially at this particular time. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is coming off an MVP season. So it's not like you can make an argument or opposing team can make an argument of, hey, he's not worth that much. Like, nah, man, if this guy comes in and starts for you for three years, even two, three years, that's probably still worth your first round pick for each of those years. I mean, realistically, right? Because especially if you're acquiring him, if an opposing team is acquiring him now, that means that your quarterback position was a little shaky. So if you knew you could get guaranteed compensation in the way of first round picks for the next two, three years, wouldn't that be worth it alone in and of itself, right? So anyways, the Packers, when you look at it, their only reason for not trading them is basically just to say, you know, no, we don't let our players walk out the door like that. If the Packers were to trade them, they maybe already have their quarterback of the future and Jordan Love on the roster. They also, if Jordan Love fails, they're going to get multiple first round picks. So if he fails and you guys stink, well, then you're going to have plenty of ammo to trade up and get your quarterback of the future next year or the following year. So from that standpoint, it's like you guys are actually in a perfect situation to rebuild it relatively quickly because the rest of your roster is already in contending shape for the most part. And you guys are the Green Bay Packers. You draft well, people want to play here, et cetera, et cetera. So from, from my position, if I'm Aaron Rodgers' agent, I'm looking at it like this. He's not playing here. Do you want nothing in the way of compensation except for some money back? Or do you want to just show him the respect that you should show him considering he's won you a championship, considering he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL basically his entirety of his career in Green Bay? Wouldn't you just want to do do right by him and and collect your heavy compensation package and, and just move on, right? Because at the end of the day, you can hope this thing repairs itself all you want. We're not playing here, period. We've got plenty of money and we're fully prepared to sit out. The other thing too is we've done a really good job of not making this a public thing, meaning we haven't gone to the public and basically put our position out there like this. So you still have that much more leverage in trade talks. You know, if, if teams call you, which I know they will, you say, hey, look, what's your offer? Because we don't have to trade him. He's going to play. There's still only the impression that he might play for Green Bay. Whereas I'm telling you behind closed doors right now, he's not playing for Green Bay. Under no circumstances will he. And for you, that works in your favor from a leverage standpoint. If I go out there tomorrow, Aaron does an interview with whoever, ESPN, and says, I will under no circumstances play in Green Bay this year. Now your leverage takes a massive hit. Not to say you still wouldn't be able to get that kind of good compensation, but your leverage takes at least at least somewhat of a hit in terms of like opposing teams are going to be like, hey, man, 
first of all, there's not that many teams that need a quarterback right now at this particular time of year. It's like the worst time for this. So they know they're not competing with a bunch of other teams. If they also know that he's not playing in Green Bay, which we're prepared to tell the world, if you don't do right by us, well, then that works in their favor. So anyways, I just think that if you're Aaron Rodgers' agent, what is Green Bay going to tell you that is an acceptable reason? Or just are you guys going to allow your emotion and your pride to basically cost you a bunch of compensation? Because in that event, if Rodgers sits out and he never plays again, gives you signing bonus money back, whatever, you're, you're sitting there basically at that point really betting on Jordan Love. Because if he doesn't pan out at that point, you don't have these extra first round picks to trade up and get your guy for the future. So why not just go ahead, give our guy what he wants, give a guy that's been an all time great Packer what he wants, what he deserves. Let him out of here. You drafted the quarterback of the future last year. So be it. Let him play. All right. Second thing I want to talk about is Cam Akers tears his Achilles. This is devastating for the Rams. Okay. And I, I say for the Rams, but what I really mean to say is for Cam Akers because he is a super talented player. This kind of an injury on a rookie contract for a running back is, is could be detrimental. <clears throat> so I will say though, Cam Akers is a guy that at this particular time, right? July, there isn't a more ideal time, if you will, for this kind of a devastating injury to happen. <clears throat> I say that because if you just say it takes him one full year to recover, which it's not going to take that long, but let's just say it does. He's 100% ready to rock and roll by July of next year. So going into year three. So from that standpoint, it's sort of, that's the silver lining here. It still hurts the Rams, but I really believe this dude, Daryl Henderson, I mean, I think that he, and maybe even if, if it's a committee, that kind of approach can still suffice when you have Matthew Stafford and all the other weapons they have. And Sean McVay calling the pulling of strings there, if you will. So I think that, I mean, look, Cam Akers, guys, was over the final six games, including the playoffs here, last year averaged almost 24 touches for 118 yards a game. Like he was the bell cow back. So there's going to be some adjustment from that standpoint for the Rams. Now, let's talk about the fantasy impact, right? So obviously, Daryl Henderson, like I mentioned, is, is going to get the crack at in every down roll, as he should. And I think there's a little bit of a um, perception that he's not big enough or that, that he's not the, quote, every down back size. He's five foot eight, 208 pounds and runs 4'4", four, 4'5", four, four, I guess you, 4'4", four, 9". Um, when you look at Daryl Henderson weeks two through seven last year, he averaged almost 16 touches a game, 15 and a half for about 86 yards per game. And he had four touchdowns in that time. He also, as a receiver, averaged over 12 yards per reception, which is very high for a running back. That would be like, he, he would definitely lead the NFL if that were to qualify over the, over the season in terms of average yards per reception. So when you look at what he did 
in his last year at Memphis, he carried the load. He was a full, I mean, they also had Tony Pollard, but Pollard didn't really get many touches, sort of like Antonio Gibson the following year. But Daryl Henderson touched the ball 233 times in his final season for 2,204 yards and 25 touchdowns. He averaged 9.5 yards per touch, per touch. Insane. And as a receiver, I know he didn't have a ton of receptions last year, but he did catch the ball 63 times in his college career. So it's not like he's incapable from that standpoint. In terms of his athletic profile, the guy ran 4.49, as I mentioned. He did 22 reps on the bench, which is insane for a guy that's literally far less in weight than what he's benching, 225. He did he, uh, His broad jump was a little over 10 foot. He did a he had a 33 and a half inch vertical. That is, if you guys ever, if you guys remember the explosion metric that Pat Kerwin, former front office executive Pat Kerwin uses, he has a 65, a little over 65 explosion number, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> which is really good. Anything at or near 70 or above 70 is rare, but anything in that range, 65 and up, is very impressive. So, Daryl Henderson will obviously, in my opinion, be that guy that's going to be the main beneficiary of it, of the Acres injury from a fantasy standpoint. Um, when you look at who the Rams' other running backs are, I know there's some buzz going around right now about how they like these other guys, undrafted free agent Xavier Jones and seventh-round pick Jake Funk. I mean, they may like those guys, but here's the best part about that. They can like those guys. They can even play those guys. And Daryl Henderson can still be a low-end RB2. Because in those weeks two through seven, where he averaged almost 16 touches a game, had four touchdowns in that time, over that, what is that, five, six games, he his snap percentages in those games were as follows, 42%, 49 49%, 39%, 43%, 53%, 56%. So even if they like Jake Funk and Xavier Jones enough to give them, let's say, 50% of the workload, Daryl Henderson has, there's plenty of meat on that bone left for him to eat. Plenty. And going into his third year, with the touches he got last year, he has definitely gained the trust of the coaching staff. So... In terms of his value, I think ADP will definitely be a huge factor in that. But if you're drafting him for his floor, right, let's just say his ADP is the fourth or fifth round. I'll tell you what, there are guys that I'd rather have Daryl Henderson then at that price tag, especially at the running back position, at, you know, in the fourth, fifth round. So what's his floor to me? I think he's a high end flex. At worst, again, we're always going to assume they're going to play every game. If he plays every game, I think he's a high-end flex, and that's basically his worst option. Like, he's a weekly starter at the flex spot. And his ceiling, and this is where we really have to consider it with him, his ceiling, in my opinion, is low-end RB1, maybe high-end RB2. Somewhere in that range is where his actual ceiling is. So I think that he's going to have a really good season. I think that he's by far the most talented player in that backfield, as evidenced by his draft selection. The Rams traded up in the third round to draft him, by the way, just two years ago. 
So to me, like I mentioned, they can like Xavier Jones, they can like Jake Funk, but as long as Henderson gets that 50% of the workload, which I think is a very reasonable expectation, then he's going to be, in my opinion, a high-end flex play on a weekly basis, especially with the improved quarterback position there and all the help they have from a supporting cast standpoint. And now the fact that opposing defenses are really not going to be game planning to shut down Daryl Henderson first in the way they did for Todd Gurley and even maybe in the way they might have for Cam Akers to an extent. So I like him. And I think that, uh, I mean, he's going to, I just can't wait to see what the ADP ends up being. We'll probably figure that out over the next two, three weeks or so, kind of see where, where it goes. And I think another part of it too, will be how he looks in the preseason. If he plays much, it might be wise of them to just play Xavier Jones and Jake Funk you know, for the majority of the preseason things, just to keep him fresh and healthy. <clears throat> and if that happens, he'll probably be a little bit cheaper than he might, should be. Next thing I want to talk about, guys, is Melvin Ingram signs with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So from a talent-for-talent talent standpoint, they lost Bud Dupree, and they replaced him with Melvin Ingram. Obviously, Bud Dupree's probably the better player right now. But, excuse me. But um, Melvin Ingram is very talented, right? Last year, he did miss nine games. And last year, he didn't have a single sack in the seven games he did play. But he, over the previous five seasons, he only missed three games. And pressures-wise, you guys love pressures, I know. The analytics community has really brought that home. <clears throat> but pressure-wise, he was on pace for the same amount as he had in 2019, which was 23 over 13 games. He will be 32 years old this season. He'll play it as a 32-year-old. And the only thing to me that really has – by the way, let me go back to that talent for talent thing real quick. Bud Dupree signed like an $80 million contract. I'm pretty sure you got Melvin Ingram for a team with no cap space for basically the vet minimum or somewhere in that range, a couple million bucks, right? So from that standpoint, talent for talent-wise – I think the financial difference between the two, what Bud Dupree got versus what Melvin Ingram got, is not nearly as significant as what the talent discrepancy is between those guys. The only thing I'll say is you signed him over Justin Houston. Now, I understand you may think that he's just a much better scheme fit, and he may be. But Justin Houston will also be 32 years old over in 2021. So same age, far more productive in recent years. He played all 32 games in each of the last two seasons. In that time, he racked up 19 sacks, 21 tackles for loss, and 30 hits on the quarterback. And pressures over those three years have been relatively similar, 29, 28, 25. So there hasn't been any clear evidence of a falling off the cliff, as they say, as an age thing for Justin Houston. And maybe you view him as more of a 4-3 guy, whatever, and you, and you think Ingram is a better fit for that. And Or maybe it was just that Justin Houston wants $10 bucks a year. Who knows? I don't think Justin Houston would have signed for what Melvin Ingram signed for, which to my understanding was like nothing, right, like $2 bucks. So from that standpoint, I get it. 
But if you could have made the cap space work for Justin Houston, damn, that would have been a big, big get, in my opinion. But obviously, for the Steelers, especially right now, financials are a little bit more important, at least for 2021. And you don't want to push money into next year's if you're Pittsburgh, because they've got to pay TJ Watt. They've got to pay a bunch of guys, Mika Fitzpatrick, a bunch of guys next year. And they have a bunch of cap space, but you need all of it. Every last drop. So overall, I do like the signing. I think that it's a very cost-effective way of replacing lost talent at a position, especially this late in the offseason. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about is the 49ers. About a little over a month ago, they signed a safety named Tony Jefferson, and they did so mainly to replace um, Tavarius Moore, who was injured back in OTAs. So... I just found out about this, by the way. Didn't even realize it. Do you guys know Tony Jefferson for as great of a career as he's had? This guy was an undrafted free agent that ran 4.75 coming out of college on the 40-yard dash. So he's never won by being an elite athlete, and that's okay. He tore his ACL in 2019, didn't play in 2020 at all, and he tore it back in October of 2019, too. So... Tony Jefferson, in my opinion, is a, first of all, he's a great fit schematically here for San Francisco. Great fit. He's not going to be asked to play in an every down capacity unless there's an injury to the safeties ahead of him. But what I think he could be, as I mentioned, he's a great fit. He's not a great raw coverage guy, but he's a great leader. He's good against the run. And... For me, this reminds me of the Panthers back in 2015, I believe it was, when they went to the Super Bowl. It reminds me of them signing Roman Harper late in his career. And the thing is, Panthers signed Harper when he was 31. Jefferson is only 29. And if he just stays healthy, because as I mentioned, he's never he's not going to rely on being an explosive athlete. If he just stays healthy, I think he can return significant value on the money spent because his game is all about instinct, intelligence, et cetera, et cetera, leadership, all that kind of the the intangible stuff. And for a team that's obviously in win now mode and also positioned quite nicely for the future, I think that this is a great signing for them. So it's something that to me, Jefferson should be completely healthy from his knee injury and he should be used in a situational role. At least that's the ideal usage for him. And if he can stay healthy, he'll be a very solid contributor in my opinion. So I like that signing for the Niners. I know that it's devastating the injury stuff that they've been dealing with the last couple of years. And hopefully they have a better goal of it from here on. But Anyways, guys, that's all I've got for you in this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're enjoying it, leave a review, subscribe, like, share, all that kind of stuff. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.